Good to be with you guys. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of Bergen. Good to be uh, with you this morning. If you're new or visiting, just just want to say a special welcome. Uh, glad that you're here with us. We love to worship Jesus because we believe that Jesus is uh, God and that He did come in human flesh to live the life that we could not live and die to pay a debt for us in our place, uh, in our sin, and rose victorious over Satan's sin and death and gives us his spirit and enables us to walk in fullness of life and reconciliation with God as he gives us his Holy Spirit. So we're thankful for that. We're thrilled about that. We're, uh, we treasure that. So that's the thing that we are excited about. That's why we sing songs. That's why we sing the songs that we sing on Sundays, it's not because we just believe we should sing. Uh, it's because it's able, and that allows us to remember the things that are true about Christ and his work as we say these things and sing these things to him. We also uh, sit under the teaching of God's words in the way that we worship him by being reminded and stirred up by what he has said in his divine revelation, not just through our blind speculation. And we also uh, observe the Lord's Supper each week. Uh, we do not see it as something that gives you righteousness or in somehow increases favor with God. We see it as uh, simply a gift that Jesus gave to his people when they gathered that they might be nourished by remembering the saving benefits of Jesus Christ. And so we love remembering that it is his body broken, his blood shed alone that gives righteousness and forgiveness of sin. It's not through our merits, not through our works, not through our church attendance, not through our prayers, not through our Bible studies, not through the ways that we do community. It is through Christ and Christ alone that we're made righteous and that uh, increases and encourages a life that grows in joy and good works. And so we do that. Um, And we also just give as a people because God was generous in giving us himself. In Christ, we give on the silver boxes on the back wall. Uh, And I always say, if you're just not a regular attender, remember, we're not interested in your finances. Uh, We want you to know Jesus. Uh, He is the richest uh, thing that you could have. So uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive right into Ephesians 6. We're doing a six-week study on the spiritual battle. Uh, God, thank you that we have the scriptures. Thank you that we can open them together this morning, and thank you uh, that you've prepared for us to be here in advance to speak to us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to help us, to exhort us, to rebuke us. God, that we might walk in the ways that are right, that are helpful, that are filled with joy and life and freedom out of our captivity from the captor. Uh, Father, thank you that you've given us uh, what you want to say to us, and thank you that it is your truth you say that sets us free. We pray for those this morning that are um, just uh, overwhelmed by anxiety or those who are uh, walking through a deep, dark uh, time of the soul, uh, that you might use this time in particular ways in their life Uh, to encourage them, strengthen them, and most profoundly and importantly, point their eyes to Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So here's what we do. Um, If if you have not uh, joined us, we normally just take books of the Bible, whole books, and and plow through them so we can see the full counsel of God. Um, The scriptures are really clear that that we need to know what God has said in its fullness, not just cherry-picking text, but looking at the whole scripture and saying, how does scripture text interpret other texts so we can see all of what God wants to say? It helps you become a well-rounded Christian. It helps you become truly a a joyful Christian. It also helps you um, on guard and knowing what to believe and what not to believe and how to battle truths versus lies. And so we normally do that. And what we felt was, uh, as we hit the new year, before we enter into looking at particular prayers of Jesus, and by looking at the prayers of Jesus, uh, learning how we can pray and be strengthened by those, we thought, let's take uh, just six weeks and look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, where we can kind of lean in and look at and dial into the spiritual war. Um, because God's doing some wonderful things in the life of this church. He's moving in some spectacular ways. He wants to advance his kingdom. 
name. He wants to advance his name. Uh, he wants to protect us. He wants to use us. And yet, uh, Paul is going to remind us there's a third variable, that there's a third party involved that you got to be aware of. Um, you can't overemphasize him and you can't underemphasize him. You have to understand him the way that scriptures understand him. And so uh, that's Satan. Now, some of you guys are like, well, I don't believe in Satan. Well, that, that's fine. Um, but the scriptures will make clear that, that Satan is real, that Satan was a beautiful angel, not the weird kind of red horns and pitchfork guy you see around Halloween uh, and on cartoons. He is, uh, was a beautiful, angelic being that God created. He fell in his pride. He wanted to be God. He didn't want to worship God and enjoy God. Um, and he uh, falls and he starts uh, out of the gate tempting the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, uh, right, in tempting their pride for them to be idolaters, for them to worship themselves and not worship God, to say he's not good when he is good, to say that sin is better when sin is not better. Um, and then you see basically God promised from the gate, out of the gate in the beginning in Genesis 3, uh, that he's going to send a Christ, a Messiah, a Redeemer, to come and crush the head of Satan. And he does that in the person and work of his cross. That promise in Genesis 3 also said that, that Jesus would not be away from uh, facing and, and suffering physical harm, so his heel would be bruised. That happened in his ministry, that happened in his life, that happened on the cross, but he rose again, and he disarmed, Colossians says, the demonic rulers, powers, and authorities at base. So um, here's what he's doing in Ephesians 6. He has just spent the whole book, if you've been with us the last two weeks, talking about who you are in Christ, what Christ has done for you in his great gospel work, how he's made you righteous, forgiven you of your sin, made you alive when you were dead. He makes you a co-heir with all that he owns. And then he turns the corner in chapter 4 and says, this is how it's rolled out in practice and the life you live and putting sin to death and your marriage and your work, parenting your kids and now he says at the end, finally, remember, all of that's in vain if you leave out a third variable. Then that's the demonic. A lot of what we don't want to chat about or we don't want to believe exists. But he says the Bible will say if you're unaware of those things, the supernatural at bay, then all could be lost. And so let me just say um, what we're, as we're going here in the spiritual battles, we've talked the last two weeks, last week, and what it means to stand firm. If you were here last week, it is so important you understand what it means to stand in the scriptures. It doesn't mean to stand still. It means to stand firm. Church is on offense, right? Standing is there's movement and maturity in that word. So if you didn't hear that, go back and listen to that because that informs how you grab hold of the armor. We're gonna talk to the next three weeks. But let me just say this as we're looking at this. The, the threat is not to lose your salvation. The threat is not to lose the promises of God. Um, the threat is, is to lose your usefulness and lose your joy. Paul's talking to who he believes are Christians. He's talking to people who have been seated with Christ. He's talking to people that have the imputed righteousness given to them in the work of the gospel. So he's going to show here that, that Satan cannot overthrow God. He cannot overpower God in any way to lose his grip on those who are his. But we can fall into sin. We can fall into arrogance. We can fall into unawareness. And that leaves us useless for the fight and joyless. Um, and that's why we're so encouraged by Paul's last words last week to stand firm. We want to experience the fullness of fellowship with Jesus. We want to experience the fullness of fellowship with his church. And so as we looked at last week, what it means to stand, that word repeatedly in the text, he says it does not mean stand still. 
The church is on offense, not defense. Now, uh, we've been seeing three things. You're going to keep seeing this entire six weeks. Know your enemy, know your king, know your weapons, right? That, that's what Ephesians 6 tells you. Uh, you got to dial in on the enemy. Know what he's like, know his habits, know his tactics, know his schemes. Uh, you also got to know your king because your king is the one who crushed his head. And then you also need to know the weapons of warfare so you know when to rest and when to fight. Okay? And if you don't know who you're fighting for, you can't fight well. And so that's what he's been laying before us here. So uh, we've been learning the past two weeks a part of Satan's arsenal's deception. Now, I don't think that's a surprise to any of you if you, you're remotely, um, I guess, aware of your Bible, um, that he is a father of lies, John 8, Jesus calls him, that he's a deceiver, right? He comes disguised as an angel of light. And so he lies, he discourages, he deceives. So I don't think it is a surprise. The first weapon Paul mentions is the truth. Uh, so let's look at verse 14. This is what Paul says. Stand, therefore, right? We don't react in fear. We react in, react in readiness. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, um, since I'm sure all of us grew up around Roman soldiers, right? No, no, none of us grew up. Roman soldiers were everywhere in the known world at the time. So this language Paul's using is very familiar. It's very common for who he's addressing, these people in Ephesus. And so uh, they would know, because they saw Roman soldiers everywhere, that, that what they would first put on is this big tunic. It had just two holes for your arms and one hole for your head. It looked like a long dress for a man. And what they would do with that dress, since it would like like, you know, flop in the wind, if you could picture that, they put on their belt or their sash first, right? That, that's what secured everything else that they would wear. Um, that allowed everything to be tight. All the other armors would usually be fastened in their belt, but that's what they would, that's what they would uh, do first. It's the first thing you would notice in getting dressed for battle. And um, the reason they did this is because it secured them. Um, it actually, there was, a, there was an element of safety here. And putting your belt on so you feel like everything else is going to be appropriate and not lost. So the belt's actually the central piece of armor that holds the rest securely in place and provides every need during the battle. So it is so right and so natural of Paul to call the belt the belt of truth. Why? Because the truth is what informs every other piece of armor. Like if you don't have the truth, who cares if you have a helmet? right? If you don't know what's true about your salvation, who gives a rip about the helmet? Who cares about the shield you have? Who cares about the breastplate? Who cares about the shoes? Who cares about anything else you wear if the first thing you strap on, you don't understand? So if you don't know the truth, the truth informs every other piece of what you're going to wear. And so what's Paul talking about when he says the truth? I think John 17 answers it. Look what Jesus says. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So the belt of truth in one sense is content in nature. Now, now, I would argue the belt of truth is the written word of God and the sword of the spirit is the spoken word of God, which we'll read next week. But you got the belt of truth, which is the written word of God. When he talks about the word, he's talking about his word. And that's how we know the truth. That's how we are sanctified. That's the belt of truth. So just as the belt is central to the armor of God, the written word of God is central to all that pertains to spiritual warfare. How do we even know there's a spiritual war? The word. <laughs> how do we even know how to react? The war. How do we even know what to believe? The word. And so that's why he's giving us this. And so because 
um, Satan's going to attack us in a specific way. God gives weapons to us individually and to us corporately. John 8, 44, which I mentioned, says Satan's the father of lies. Lying is his native language. Like, like lying is his first language, not his second language. Lying is just naturally what comes easy to him. There's certain words with your kids that just naturally come, right? Some you're like, whoa, right? But others you're like, oh yeah, I want more of that. That's just, that's natural to who he is. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. So when you and I lie, we're doing something demonic. We tell half-truths. We hide the truth. We speak in such a way that's deceptive. We're just following along with the father of lies. So it's no wonder the first line of defense is the truth versus the lies. Now, hear me on this. Something doesn't need to be true to be powerful, does it? This is, this is huge in understanding your enemy and understanding the belt of truth. He is not so much concerned that what you hear is true. All he wants is that it to be believed. And there is a big difference. I could tell you that your spouse, I saw them out with someone else, and they're not faithful to you, and it doesn't have to be true. You just have to believe it, right? Because if, it, if it's believed, even if it's not true, does that not do things to you? Like, does that not shape your emotions? Does that not kind of shipwreck your life a bit? Does that not cause you to kind of wander into particular ways in your heart, your mind, and, and the ways that you're wired? So Satan is not concerned with telling you things that are true. He simply wants them to be believed. And this is everything, according to Paul, in the spiritual war. So he'll tell you lies. He's going to send false teachers. He's going to send bad counselors, whether those things be about your church, whether those be about pastors, whether those be about friends, whether those be about work, whether those be about family. He wants to pepper you with lies and make you believe them thinking that they're true. He doesn't have to tell you the truth. He just needs to get you to believe. And if you believe, then he's won. Then he has a foothold. And this is why I want to make sure we understand he's responsible for lying, but we're responsible for believing. Talked about maybe grew up in that denomination where they just blame Satan for everything, so you just get off scot-free every time. <laughs> you can't blame it off on him, right? We're responsible for standing firm. Um, some of us are governed by lies. Your life is built around believing things that are not true. You believe them, but they're not true. And you're governed by them. You're ruled by them. What people think of you, perceptions. Perceptions are often not reality. Often what we think is reality are things we project onto people or onto circumstances based upon what we've experienced. Right? I get this all the time, right? You had a jacked up lead pastor or former pastor or previous pastor and you walk in here and it's like, you're red hot. And I'm like, what's your name? Right? Like, all that's informed you is that guy was a jerk, that guy was domineering, that guy was a heretic. That guy, so that's who you are, right? And I'm like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Mike Reed. What's your first, middle, and last name? And social, because I'm a little worried, right? Like, this is, this is how we do this thing. We just operate in ways that are insane, not based upon truthful things, but based upon things we believe. And he loves to stir those things up in you. He loves to get you all riled up. That person at your work, oh, he probably thinks this, or he probably did this, or she probably... When you have no fundamental reasons to land there, it's all speculation. And this is why people who believe lies, usually it leads them to dark places and bondage. 
And the enemy has a field day there. This is why, interesting, after Jesus calls Satan the father of lies, what does he say right after that? That's when he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He doesn't randomly insert that. He puts that in a particular place because he knows that the truth is the only thing that's going to set you free. So um, a good practice for you, um, something I've encouraged people in, is to take a sheet of paper and draw a line down the middle and write all the truths you believe on the left side, all of them. Lies you believed in your past, lies you're believing this week, lies you're believing about certain people, certain events, certain things. Just write them all out. Get them all on paper. And then on the right side, write down everything that's true. Open up the word of God and get scriptures and texts that tell you what's true. And then you pit lies against the truth. And you get to see and, and it's revealed what you're doing. Because what you're doing is you're, you're collecting Satan's lies and you're storing up God's truth to let them fight one another. The truth always wins. I mean, I'm telling you, I've seen people liberated in this. And this helps you counsel your own heart, and this helps you counsel other people's hearts. Um, in fact, my wife and I were just doing this yesterday. We were sitting in our living room on a Saturday afternoon, and we were writing out things that we were believing that were lies. And then we were putting next to it certain texts. And th- this is why this is, I think, so important, um, because then you have a decision to make, right? As you look at this, will I live in light of the lie, or will I live in light of the truth, um, I thought God didn't love me. I thought that I was unforgivable. I thought I couldn't come to church because everyone would be ashamed of me. I thought, and then you start reading Scripture. Wow, I, I didn't think God loved me, but I realized his love can never be taken from me. Wow, I thought I was unforgivable, and I realized there's no sin that's unforgivable. Wow, I, I, I thought that, that everyone would be ashamed of me if they knew me, and then I realized that everyone should be ashamed of themselves outside of Christ because he's the only perfect person who ever walked the planet. That if you opened up everyone else's, you know, Pandora's box, who's sitting right next to you, you'd see crazy things. I always say you got to be aware of who's next to you. Just because you're in church doesn't mean people don't have junk, right? We're here because we have junk. Like we're gathered today because we're imperfect, made perfect by the only one who is perfect, right? And so we lean into him, we love him, we pursue him, we enjoy him, that despite our failures, he still pursues us. Yeah, Christians are hypocrites. Every Christian is. And continually point eyes to him that he still loves us despite even our hypocrisy. That, that's a God that is worthy of worship. And so you need to read these things and be able to say lie, 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 lie. And when you hear a lie and believe that lie, you go to the written God, word of God and you find out the truth. When we do that and look at the truth, we're forced to answer the question, we live in light of the truth or live in light of the lie. Now, You can't know the truth if you're not getting to know it, right? I mean, it doesn't magically through osmosis happen. It's not one sermon a week that makes you a spiritual giant. And I know all of evangelicalism believes that, man. It's like the podcast on my way to work is going to make me a spiritual giant. No, no, you're vicariously living through someone else's spirituality, you're vicariously living through your pastor. No, you gotta, you got to live through the Holy Spirit of God in your own life to enjoy Jesus yourself, to start seeing and understanding the truth, to truly break free from the things you need to break free from, right? So, so you got to be so careful at just, I mean, just filling your mind with all these good sermons. That's good, but get your face in your own Bible, right? Like, look at it yourself. Read it for yourself. Don't go after what I say. Don't get after what another pastor says, another theologian says. You do the work, right? This is why I was 
honestly, I had the privilege of stepping into the house to the Bible class last Wednesday night because Pastor McKitty couldn't make it, called an audible, told me to show up like two hours before. I was like, you're fired. I came, and, and it was insane at seeing 120 people here wanting to learn, grow, know their Bible. This place was filled. It was insane. I was like, no wonder Pastor McKinney loves this class. Because everyone who was here wanted to be here. And they're right now, texts, we're looking at where, where, where's the character and nature of God in that particular chapter? Where do you see Jesus? And where do you see it point to his work? And that just hearing people share was just strengthening to our faith. So if you haven't been, show up Wednesday night, right? Uh, but it's just an awesome class. And so this is why we need to learn to base our beliefs, our thoughts, not strictly on how we feel, but on what is true. Because if you talk to people who've been lied to, they always say, I feel. Well, there's your problem. You don't need to simply feel, you need to think. You need to think. You don't need to simply feel. Is this true or false? Is this from God or Satan? Does this lead to captivity or does this lead to freedom? Think. Think. Consider. You need to recall the truth, recount the truth, record the truth. Because then what happens over time is you're filling your spiritual bank account with the truth. So when those moments come up, it gets easier over time to remember the truth and combat the lies. But if you don't know it, well, start somewhere. It's okay. Start today. You can open up your Bible today. If you don't know where to go, maybe we got resources on the web. You can talk to pastors. You can talk to other friends that, that love Jesus and the Spirit of God's clearly on their life. I mean, find out. Where do I start? Go to the Gospels. Look at Jesus' life. Just look at it. Man, that's what transformed me as a young, skeptical, cerebral thinker. Um, I just could not get away from him. Now, how do we use the belt? How do we use it? You remember the parable of the sower in Mark 4 where Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a parable. Parable is just a, just, a, just a story to illustrate a theological truth. That's what a parable is. Jesus taught in parables a lot. So he says, hey, I'm going to tell you about a farmer. <laughs> He's going to go sow some seed, and he throws seed, and some land on a path, and birds come and devour it, right? And then, then the, the sower throws some other seed, and, and, it, and it lands on this rocky ground. And on the rocky ground, it doesn't have a depth of soil. And so as soon as it comes up, it doesn't have a lot of roots. And so when the sun comes out, it just scorches it. And then he throws other seed, and it lands on the thorny ground, and it starts to come up, but the thorns choke it out. Then he says, but some seed found on, fell on good soil, and it produced a crop, and it started growing some 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And then Jesus says, you got to love Jesus. If you don't understand this, you won't understand anything. They're like, thanks, Jesus. Right? I don't understand. A farmer? Do I go farm? Look at chapter 4, verse 20, he says this. He, he explains it. The sower sows the word. Those that were on the good soil are those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So the word is sown into the heart. And to accept it here is to believe it, trust it, and receive it, not reject it. There's an internalization here. Like the one who's bearing fruit is the one who's taking the truth and they're internalizing it. So it's actually bearing a crop. So thorns don't choke it out. Deceit doesn't choke it out. 
The sun doesn't scorch it and shrivel it up. Something else doesn't come and take it away, right? It's something that's implanted in you where you're growing up in it and you're being strengthened by it. And that produces the crop. Now, here's what I want to say. Here's what this means. Before you have any hope of victory against spiritual darkness, you have to believe, trust in the seed, the living word made flesh, which is Jesus. Listen, you got to trust in the word who indwelled, incarnated in this world, right? Fully God, fully man, and lived the life for you, died the death for you, rose again, fully victorious, to allow you to now have access to this armor. So hear me. If you've never trusted in Jesus, don't try to grab armor you don't have access to. Like, you need him. You need to repent of sin and turn to Christ and enjoy him as Savior. You don't need to be trying to grab armor. If you're in here going, oh, that sounds pretty cool, man. I'm going to put on my belt of truth, but you've never trusted in Jesus, never submitted to his good name. You don't know what it means to be forgiven of your sin. That's where you start. That's the word first. That's the first word you internalize, the word made flesh. And then he gives you his written word, which begins to grow you into salvation. So we always start at the right place. Now, here's what I want to mention is because the truth is found in the person, power, and work of Jesus. It's where the truth is found. This whole book explains, not every verse is talking explicitly about Jesus, but it's all trying to give you a shadow to point you to the power and person of his work. Okay, that's the whole point. Right, so, so if, if we know that's where the power is, here's the, the damning aspect of the Christian life. And here's where it ties to the spiritual war. Because um, I think this is something worth noting when we talk about truth. Most people don't want to declare war on their sin or the spiritual adversaries because you just don't think your sin's a big deal and you just don't think Satan's a big deal. Like, you don't understand you're in a war. I mean, most people don't declare war on them because of that. Now, according to the scriptures, the Christian life is violent. Like, I mean, Paul's given us an entire chapter here talking about how we're in a war. It's not peacetime, wartime. We're not on a playground, we're on a battleground, right? I mean, you go to Colossians 3 and he'll say, put to death what is earthly in you. It's the only time you're given a green light to kill. When it's against your sin, it's in the Bible, go read it. So, so here, here, here's the thing. Most of us, you don't want to kill your sin. You want to treat it like your pet. You want to control it and teach it to sit. You want to know why? So when you get frustrated or embittered or angry or entitled, you can run to that thing for comfort, not the God of the universe for comfort. So you love keeping it around. You love keeping it safe. Truly in the deep, darkest parts of our hearts, that's why we don't want to put our sin to death. You don't want to stop flirting because deep down when you're feeling insecure one day, you want to flirt. Uh, You don't want to put away that addiction or that lust or that desire or that greed or that whatever it is because deep down that day you might find yourself in need. You don't want to run to Jesus. You want to run to that because you believe it holds for you a promise that's greater than him. This is, this is why so many of us are stuck in a cycle of sin. You don't want to kill your sin. You want to train it. Like, you don't want to put it to death. You don't want to declare war against the enemy because he might tell you something that you think is helpful. So I don't want to totally blot him out. I don't want to stab him once, or I'll only stab him once. I don't want to stab him and strike again and again and again till it's dead. 
Like that's, that's what you see in scripture because there is nothing in redemptive history, nothing in the Bible that has taught us to treat sin or Satan like that. Like there's nothing we read that will give us the idea that that's how it'll do that. Now here's the thing. What happens is all of a sudden one day it turns on you and starts to destroy you and you're shocked. Well, I just can't believe that happened. It's a flipping apex predator. What did you expect it to do? This is why, this is why Satan's given the, the verbiage of a lion, right? Apex predator looking and searching to devour you. And you thought you could teach it to sit. And all your bragging and boasting, and I've accomplished this, I've, I've secured this, I've managed this, I've kept it at bay, you forgot that it's designed to seek, kill, and destroy. You forgot that it's designed to swallow you whole. And I'm just saying, man, this is so good for us to see that the Christian in the war doesn't just starve his sin, he starves his sin to death. Right? He does not just try to avoid Satan. He's on offense, and he goes after him through the power that's already given him in the gospel and says he's already dead. He's already going to be thrown in the lake of fire. He already has an eternal torment of hell waiting him, and so I'm going to aggressively come at you. I'm not going to let you come at me and just kind of sit there and think I can kind of train you and kind of protect myself. Man, this is a real war. Whole mentality shift. And it's not in your effort, it's not in your morality, it's through the power given you in the gospel of Christ. It's through the Holy Spirit that indwells you. And as you gain victorious ground, you realize the victorious ground was already laid for you, so now you can walk in it. This is how the scriptures will show us to react and act. That's why we must know the truth. When Jesus died, he took with him your sin, so through the power of the gospel, you can put sin to death today. That's why you don't have to be ruled by it, because he disarmed it. That's why you have to be committed to the truth. And part of that understanding is understanding truth, understanding sin. And this is why he says next to put on something else. He says in verse 14, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So truth and righteousness are what we are to wear. Now, um, the breastplate was custom made for the Roman soldier. It was like a, a cast. They were actually fit to mold exactly to their body. So it fit them perfectly on the torso. It protected the heart, other vital organs. And it provided two aspects of protection in the war against the enemy's schemes. One is imputed righteousness and one is imparted righteousness. And both are great in the battle against the enemy. Um, imputed righteousness, the first one, belt, breastplate. Um, if you're familiar with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know that when God did the amazing declarative act of God in coming for sinners in the personal work of Jesus and he forgives us of our sin, he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just cancel a debt. He imputes, he credits, he gives you the very righteousness of himself. So his life is credited to your account. So you don't need to be at zero, you need to be at infinity, right? So, he, so just being forgiven of sin is not enough. You need a righteousness that's not your own. The gospel teaches that he does give that in the personal work of Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He, that's God, made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? Isn't that awesome? That he, he made him who knew no sin. He never sinned, yet he was confronted with sin. He was tempted, yet without sin. And he lived the righteous life so that we might become righteous 
before God. He declares us righteous. The only reason he could tell Mike Reed when I stand before him at the judgment that, man, he doesn't judge me. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn me. He doesn't see me as sinful, broken, fractured Mike Reed. He sees his son as my champion. So you got to remember this, right? you got to remember that in Christ, you're covered by the declaration of God with a righteousness that's not your own, but belongs to Christ. Now, why does this matter? Most Christians do not know they've been made righteous. They do not know they've been given an imputed righteousness. You're walking around in constant guilt, constant condemnation. The devil throws assaults at you and says, condemned, unforgiven. There's lies, there's reminders of the past. He'll also try to talk you out of the breastplate. Don't wear it because it's not yours to be worn. You're not worthy. Heard that one lately? And what do you say when you're pelted with those lies of deception? I'm righteous. You wear the breastplate. What's true about you? You're not. He is. He made you that way. Right? So you can almost embrace the half-truth of Satan. You're right, because he can't tell a full truth, only tell a half-truth. You're right, I'm not righteous, but he is. And he made me righteous when I couldn't be. And that's the best news. That's the glorious news of the gospel, right? Is that we were not righteous on our own, and we could not perform righteous deeds that would merit an infinitely holy, righteous God, and God did it for us in Christ. Is that not the greatest news on the planet? For those who are aware that they're not, that they're not righteous, for those who realize Romans 3, there is no non-righteous, no who seek after God. This is really good news. And so he'll tell you you're not righteous, not worthy, not forgiven, not accepted. He'll throw the sins of your past in your face. The very sins that God says he removed as far as the east is from the west in the work of his son. Oh, man, I can't tell you, man, every morning I wake up, I'm vulnerable. Every morning I wake up, I, I swear, it has nothing to do with my day and just a sin from like five years ago. And I'll just like, right? You're just kind of like playing. And then what do I have to do, man? The only way to battle that lie is to believe again what is true. I have to play that battle by faith every day. God has given you a free righteousness, and that serves as a beautifully effective breastplate to wear in the war. And you pit truth against lie. When he says condemned, you say, no, I'm, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. We're not only declared righteous, there's an imparted righteousness. And this is great. Because what this means is you can live and grow in the righteousness that's imputed to you. So we believe in a progressive sanctification, that, that you're declared righteous, right? But there's also a way that God is actually growing you in internal righteousness, right? Fruits of the Spirit are coming out. Right, you're growing in faith. You're reading, you're praying, you're gathering with a faith family, you're listening to sermons. He's using all those things to strengthen you and grow you in your righteousness. And it's progressive and it's increasing. Because remember, the Christian is the process of becoming who you already are. That's what it means to be a Christian. So you're progressively becoming who you already are. Look at Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only my presence, but much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God gives you righteousness at salvation, and that is not only credited to your account, but he gives you a positional righteousness before God and goes a step further. So he says, no, it's not just positional. He imparts the very spirit of God to you. 
at conversion, at regeneration, at salvation. He imparts the Spirit of God to you. So now you're capable of working out that righteousness that's yours. So you grow in this. Your new birth, your salvation makes possible this impartation of practical righteousness in your day-to-day living. Like that's why you can put sin to death. Isn't that awesome? That's why you can walk in victory because that's the spirit in you. I always love uh, 2 Timothy 1.7. He didn't give you a spirit of fear and timidity, one of power, love, and self-control. That's when you're feeling fear, something feels off because you know you're not supposed to feel that way. Because that's not the spirit in you. The spirit in you is one of power, love, and self-control. That's why when we chicken out on evangelism, there's something in us that's going, there's just like, man, I, I feel like I should have shared with that person. I feel like I should have opened my mouth, right? That's because that's the spirit in you. Take that as encouragement. Like that's evidence that, man, he's after your heart. He's working. He's trying to grow you in this righteousness. And that's why if there's a weakness in your armor, unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin, you're vulnerable because you're inviting sin into your life. You're inviting the enemy through that righteous shield. And you think you'll be good in the war against the kingdom of darkness. That's to enter the war without your breastplate, right? We see this a lot of times in pastoral ministry um, where men um, are more aggressive about their ministry than their personal holiness because they think their personal holiness has no practical implication right? No practical guard, no practical protection. What does that lead to? Satan get a foothold, a crack in the armor, which ends up totally destroying the entire ministry. So who cares that they were aggressive in ministry when they didn't grow in their practical holiness that was theirs in Christ? This is where Satan knows how to get him, and if he sees a little crack, he'll just weave his way in. We've got to know these things. See, what Paul is talking about when it comes to weapons of warfare, this is all about temptation. That's what this is. His tactic is to tempt, right? Sometimes we think about Satan and demons. We're like, man, did you see the baby come out of the woman? What happened? Start talking? Did you, was your furniture levitating? I'm like, no. Well, how'd you see it? Okay. Did you know usually it's very, very, very simple? Temptation. Temptation. It's the demonic. Temptation. It's usually how it is. It's often very simple. Next time you're tempted, remember, wow, I'm in a demonic battle. Satan's trying to destroy me. I'm a soldier in the war. My enemy has come. I know my king, though, and I know my weapons available to me. Because one of his lies is, if you're tempted, you're already guilty. You know that? If, you, if you're tempted, you've already sinned. It's not true. It's not what the Bible says. Jesus was tempted. He didn't sin. Right? Came to him, tempted him with a lot of things. And he didn't sin, so you remember in those moments, right, that, that you will be tempted, but you don't have to give in to that temptation. You have the armor you can wear, and instead, by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can choose to walk in righteousness. This is, this is very important because some of you, instead of fighting your sin by the Holy Spirit's power, you just make excuses for your sin. You don't understand who you are. Like, you don't have to fall into sin. You can walk in righteousness. Jesus died for your sin. He gave you his righteousness. That's your identity. So walk in your identity. Walk in who you are. Who cares if you're tempted? You're not sinning. James says it's when you give weight to that sin, when you fall into that sin, that it gives birth. It's not the temptation itself. 
So when you're tempted, you can live out the righteousness that Christ has given you. And then even when you fail, which you will, you can appeal once again to the imputed righteousness that he gave you. Isn't that awesome? Imputed and imparted? So you can live the Christian life victorious because you have imparted righteousness through the Holy Spirit, and you can also live victorious when you stumble and fall because you realize you have an imputed righteousness. So the gospel is the best news, right? It is, it is just awesome. That's why I love just looking at it over and over because you learn different things about it that, that help you in your spiritual walk. This is true, real armor. This is not figurative. This is who you are as a blood-bought citizen of the kingdom. See, some of you, one of the lies you believe is, I can't change, I will never change, this is how I am, I just need to accept myself. You know, God loves you enough to meet you in your sin, but he also loves you enough to compel you out of your sin. And both are beautiful, and that's the breastplate of righteousness. He meets you in your sin. I'll give you righteousness that is not your own, and I'll give you an imparted righteousness. I'll compel you out of your sin. I just want to end with one verse, Proverbs 18.10. I was reading this this week. I thought it just was such a great kind of bookend to the spiritual armor. Look at what Proverbs 18.10 says. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. I mean, who hasn't needed a strong tower in their life? (laughs) Who hasn't needed a strong tower in their life, right? Thank you. Okay, so, so like, I mean, I know I do. Like, all week long, man, I need somewhere I can run that is strong and is safe. I need a strong tower, man, in the face of great danger, whether real or imagined, man. I have shouted the Lord's name, and I have run into safety, and I've known that he has me there. I mean, when, when fear overcomes you, you run in. When your marriage seems like it's unredeemable, you run in. When your children seem to like not be what, man, you know all they could be in Christ, man, you run in. When anxiety seems like it's choking the life out of you, you run in. Who else are you gonna run? To you, to cultural band-aids, I mean, you run to the strong tower of the Lord and his strength, the only place you find peace and security. Right, this is, he's our strong tower. This is this great image of protection alongside Ephesians 6. Here's why. The strong tower is a gift. It's a place of healing. It's a place of safety. But the armor is also a gift. It's opportunity to strike on offense at all that enemy does. So you're protected and safe, but the armor empowers you to put to death the shame of past abuse. It allows you to put to death the shame of past sins and failures. It allows you to put to death the lies you believed your whole life while you're safe in the tower. And here's, here's what's amazing with this. It, it the armor now enables you to fight for the restoration of your marriage while you're in a safe tower. It enables you to actually fight towards putting your sin to death as you're safe from sin. These two things are huge together. I mean, it protects you from discouragement as a parent. Another long day. Any parents? All right, geez, I don't know if like we're all aliens or don't have kids. 
gives you courage to cast your anxieties on the Lord. So here's the thing. Some of us who are dealing with pain and sin are not willing to put on the spiritual armor. Here's what I mean. Wisdom lies in knowing when to rest and when to fight. It lies in knowing when to just rest in the tower and fight with the armor. And they're not against each other. They help one another. They serve one another. Right? The good news is God promises to fight for us and equip us. So he's a strong tower. Remember, it's his fights, not our fights. His battle, not our battle. This is his church, not our church. But the good news is that he fights for us. Only in battle do we discover what Paul means. In Philippians 3, he read Philippians 3, man, where he just talks about all his accolades, and he's like, man, they're all just garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. And then he goes, man, I want to know his power. We're all like, amen. And I want to know his resurrection. We're all like, amen. And then he goes, and sharing his sufferings. We're like, wipe that out. Right? <laughs> right? Like, well, yeah, I want to know his power. I want to know his resurrection. I want to share his sufferings. But, but here's what we're, what we're learning, man. I can't understand his power or his suffering if I'm only resting in the tower. I have to step out in the battle and fight just as Christ did. And then you start to grow. And then you start to understand beauties and joys in unexpected places. So my question is simply, do you rest in the strong tower of his name when the battle's not yours to fight? And will you put on the full armor and stand against the enemy when it is time to fight? The one who faithfully provides the tower also faithfully provides the armor. Let's avail ourselves to both for the glory of his name. God, I just pray you'd help us this morning. We're here because we want to hear from you, know you, serve you, love you, be built up by you. We don't want to be built up by our own agendas or our own ideas. We want the scriptures to inform how we think and feel and what we believe. We want to be strong and courageous as your soldiers, as your servants. We want to love you with whole hearts. Thank you that in taking the supper today, we're going to be reminded again of your imputed righteousness through your broken body and shed blood. And thank you for reminding us that your broken body and shed blood was the truth that came in human flesh and died for us so that we might know the truth and the truth that would set us free. God, I pray for those who are in bondage this morning, who are believing lies and not the truth. Might you free them through the power of your spirit and good work of Christ. Help them to wear the belt of truth eagerly, readily, convictingly. Pray for those, Lord, who are being pelted with accusations and half-truths in regards to their righteousness and their unworthiness. Remind them that they've been given the righteousness of Christ and the imparted righteousness to grow as a Christian and put sin to death. Father, I pray for those in this room this morning who have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and King, who have never seen him as good, that they might see you as good this morning, see you as protective, see as you the only place to run into safety and security. Thank you for what you've done for us in your gospel. Help us to grow in that gospel as a people together in Jesus' name, amen.